Well, hello and welcome to In the Growth Space. I'm David McGlennon. Man, I have been waiting for this episode for quite some time. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you today. You know, In the Growth Space podcast is is all about growth and it's 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 all about growth as as leaders, as organizations, as teams. And one of the things that uh, all of those things have is a culture. And so we're going to talk today to a, a leader, an author, um, and a thought leader um, around the idea of culture and leadership. And so uh, I think today will will challenge you, will help you maybe even think a little bit differently about culture and, and really how to build a high-performance culture. So we're talking with Mark Miller today. And, you know, Mark is an international best-selling author, and he is a, a business leader. He's a communicator. And, and Mark began writing almost 20 years ago when he teamed up with Ken Blanchard, the author of The One Minute Manager. And, and um, he, he wrote the book, The Secret, What Great Leaders Know and Do. And his most recent book is called Culture Rules. And we've got a fantastic conversation today around the subject of culture and leadership. And he has over a million books in print and in uh, more than 25 languages. He is a, a global influencer and his global impact continues to grow. In addition to his writing, Mark enjoys speaking to leaders, and over the years, he's traveled to dozens of countries, teaching for numerous international organizations, and his theme is always the same, encouraging and equipping leaders. So you're going to hear the story, but Mark started his Chick-fil-A career working as an hourly team member in 1977. Then in 1978, he joined the corporate staff working in the warehouse and the mailroom. Since that time, he's provided leadership for corporate communications, field operations, quality and customer satisfaction, training and development, and leadership development. During his tenure with Chick-fil-A, the company has grown from 75 restaurants to over 2,300 locations and an annual sales approaching $10 billion. So he's been on an amazing growth journey himself, not only with Chick-fil-A, but in his his leadership journey. Mark uh, lives an active lifestyle. I love that. Uh, As a photographer, he enjoys shooting in some of the world's hardest to reach places, And he's been to some locations that are really cool. He's been to Antarctica. Um, He's been to Everest uh, Base Camp, which is really cool. The jungles of Rwanda and the Galapagos Islands. He's married to his wife, Donna, his high school sweetheart for over 35 years. And he's got two sons, Justin and David, and a daughter-in-law, Lindsay, and three amazing grandchildren. And so I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Mark today. So let's get into the episode right now. Well, hey, Mark, uh, welcome to In the Growth Space podcast. Man, I'm super excited that you're here. Um, been waiting for this uh, conversation for quite a while. I'm really excited. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. You know, um, many podcasters always, you know, ask the question at the beginning, you know, hey, tell us about, you know, how you got here. But I, I want to change things up a little bit. And I would love to just hear what got you into culture? What what kind of um, struck that that or what was that catalyst like for you that really, you know, just brought it up to the forefront for you? 
Well, I've got to go back a few years to provide a little context. Uh, it was about 25 years ago, we, uh, as an organization, I spent more than 40 years uh, at Chick-fil-A, I worked on the corporate staff. And about 25 years ago, we began to work on identifying and attempting to solve some leadership challenges. In fact, we would historically, we would try to look three to five years into the future and say, what are the barriers or obstacles that we can anticipate and how might we better prepare ourselves and our leaders when those things become reality? Mm-hmm. And we were, uh, we've done 12 projects like that over the last 25 years. And several years ago, we were in that conversation again. And the observation uh, surfaced that more and more leaders were talking about culture. This even pre-COVID, it was okay. coming up more and more yeah. because culture has always been important. And, right. and you might argue it's become increasingly difficult to create the, the culture that leaders really want and need for any yeah. number of reasons. We can get into that later. Um, but we didn't want to stop there. We began to talk to leaders again, or continue to talk to leaders about those emerging barriers, obstacles, and opportunities. And what we realized is a lot of leaders who weren't even talking about culture directly if you peel back one or two layers, the issues and challenges they were uh, struggling with were really culture, uh, found their roots in culture. And so we just said, we think this is something we'd love to have a point of view on. Mm-hmm. And thankful that we made that decision. Of course, we knew nothing about the pandemic, yeah. but I think one thing for sure, the pandemic put extreme pressure on organizational culture. And when you put a culture under pressure, a couple things happen. It, it certainly showcases strengths. I sure. think you and your listeners, you, you saw a lot of examples of resilience and grit mm. and creativity yes. and innovation. And that's true. That those kind yeah. of things surface under pressure. But something else that surfaces under pressure are cracks and gaps yeah. and opportunities. Mm. And a lot of leaders had been oblivious to those cracks oh, and those true. gaps until COVID hit. And so uh, coming out of the pandemic, I have had more leaders than I can count who have specific questions about how to strengthen their culture. And so Mm. thankfully, we began this work several years ago. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, really one of the things that I, I noticed and we even talked about off camera before we started rolling here is that really culture is a leadership issue. And, and, and I'd love for you to speak into that for just a moment, because I think there's a lot of leaders who just they, they, they talk about culture and they think, oh, yeah, culture. OK, I'm going to I'm going to assign that task to, you know, human resources um, mm-hmm. or people development. Um, what do you say to that? And how would you address that? Well, when we, when we began this work, we said, we want to try to figure out what is universally true about Mm. the topic. And so obviously any number of ways you could have approached that we chose to talk to leaders and frontline, uh, contributors around the world. And Mm. we ended up interviewing or surveying over 6,000 folks from 10 countries in, in an attempt to, to really say, what can we say with confidence about mm-hmm. organizational culture? And to your point, um, over 70% of U.S. leaders, 71 plus or minus percent, and just 
under that, about 70% of global leaders said that culture is the most powerful tool at their disposal to drive performance. I mean, so leaders, at least at an intuitive or intellectual level, you know, we didn't tell them what, I mean, nothing scored higher, by the way. They they gave us a lot of answers, but 72%, 71% said culture, the most powerful tool at our disposal to drive performance. Now, I've been hanging around leaders my whole career, and I know most leaders care about performance. So you you would think that this would inform their actions. Mm -hmm. Well, the the next question was the one that provided the the insight, if you will, or maybe the catalyst for this work, is we asked those same leaders to rank their priorities. Yeah. Yeah, and building and maintaining culture came in at number 12. Wow. <laughs> now, so there's I don't know about mismatch. you. I don't know yeah. about you. I'm not working on my 12th priority. Right? right. On a good day. On a good day, I work on a few of the top five. Yeah. And some absolutely. days I don't even feel like I get to those. Right. And so what leaders are telling us is this is critically important to performance, which is something I actually care about and am paid to do. Yeah. And yet... Absolutely. It's not even in my top 10 when I think about my priorities. And so we went to work saying, how do we help leaders close this knowing doing gap? Mm -hmm. And that actually became the charge for our team. Well, and I love that because one of the things I noticed in the book um, is that at the end of each chapter, you give some real practical application steps. And, And I think that that's, in, in my, you know, my understanding of culture, that's really where the, the rubber heat hits the road and, and where a lot of leaders just, they just don't know what to do. And so you provided that in the, in the book, which I think is really yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and it's not, let me say this. Yes, I agree with everything you just said, but it's not just in culture, uh, regardless of the domain, mm-hmm. you behave your way to high performance. You don't believe your way there. You behave your way there. And so at the end of the day, you got to do something. And hopefully, preferably, you do the right things, but you have to, you have to act. And so we decided to try and make this book as actionable as possible. Uh, And I'll tell you a quick story. We were a bit overwhelmed when, I mean, I just referenced some of the research, right? Talking to over 6,000 folks, we did focus groups. We did hundreds of hours of desk research. We Mm -hmm. had a, there were eight folks, eight, nine, 10 folks on the research team. I had three Stanford professors helping me try and figure all this out. We had gobs of research, spent millions of dollars, several years. And we were, as a team, we were, we were somewhat overwhelmed by it all. Mm. And we said, okay, all right, we, this this is this is good. We think we think there's there's simplicity on the other side of complexity, but we've got to work through it. Yeah. And we were inspired by a story from the Navy SEALs. Mm. And I have to confess, we've spent a lot of time with SEALs over the years because they're pretty good at what they do. And and we've extracted a lot of lessons over time. And so in the context of this problem we ran across an article written by a SEAL that said just a few years ago, they realized that they needed to to hit the pause button because they'd been moving at the speed of war, Uh, which is an interesting way to think about it. It's probably the mm -hmm. same speed that your listeners have been moving at, but the difference is people are shooting at them. 
So they've been moving at the speed of war. And they said, but we had to pause because we wanted to document what is important for the next generation of SEALs. Now, uh, as an aside, I think this was a pretty, pretty good leadership moment when they realized that. For sure. Um, And so the first thing they wrote down was shoot, move, and communicate. Mm. Shoot, move, and communicate. Now, uh, that's not how you build a great culture. I have to say that because I, I did a talk recently for a group and they were real excited. They thought that's how you build a great culture. And I said, put your guns away. Uh, no, that's not, that's not it. But, but our team was inspired by that because I know Rourke Denver, the former commander of the, the SEALs, and he would tell you there's a lot more you need to know to be a successful SEAL beyond shoot, move, and communicate. He, but he would probably say that's what you need to survive to fight another day. Yeah. Right. That is, that's the first thing they wrote down. And so our team said, why is that statement so powerful? Are those Mm. words? They're clear, they're succinct, they're actionable. They provide direction. Oh, and they work. They add real value. Mm. And so we then tweaked our assignment yet again and said, not only are we going to help leaders close this knowing doing gap, we want to provide the equivalent of shoot, move, and communicate for leaders when they think about culture. And that's Mm. how we came up with the three culture rules. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, one thing that just a question that just popped into my head as you were talking about the SEALs, because from a leadership perspective, I think, and you mentioned it, but I may say it a different way, but they were really planning for succession. They were, they were looking at culture as a succession planning tool. So I'm kind of curious, you know, how, how can leaders use culture in their organization, especially from somebody that's a, you know, maybe there's a, there's an entrepreneur out there that's built a family business or, you know, some kind of a small thriving business. And they want to allow it to, you know, be uh, in ex- in existence. You know, basically form their legacy. And how how, sure. how do you have that, you know, transpire? Well, I think I think it probably hinges on the strength and vitality of your culture. If yeah. if it's strong, it has a much greater likelihood of standing the tests of time and crossing generations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm privileged to have worked at Chick-fil-A for, for decades and have seen the founder, Truett Cathy, who hired me as the yeah. 16th corporate employee. I was just That's a amazing. kid, went to work in the warehouse in the mailroom, yeah. uh, worked with Truett. Then I worked with his son, Dan, and now Dan has passed that senior leadership role to his son, Andrew. Okay. And we're working to make the culture stronger to enhance the culture, to continually adapt, Mm. but the essence of the culture is unchanged. And I think that's a testimony to the strength of culture that Truett built. Mm -hmm. Well, and that even brings up another, I guess, thought for me in that, you know, generational differences are probably going to be very um, prevalent in in any Mm -hmm. culture. So how do you bridge that gap, especially when you have, you know, multi-generational business, you have Truett, you've got Dan and now Andrew. So how do, how do you, how do you create a culture that spans those generational differences? Well, yeah, that, that's a huge question. Um, I think for another book, right? (laughs) Well, well, no, but I I would say first, the great cultures that I'm aware of are 
principle based. Mm, yeah. And principles tend to have more staying power yeah. than the latest trend or fad or new shiny object. And right. so a culture that's principle based, again, I think has a better shot at working across generations. I also yeah. think you've got to be willing and able to refresh a culture. Mm. Uh, we, we changed our corporate core values a few years ago. Now okay. we didn't change our purpose. We achieved our mission. So we set a new mission. So I think there's a, there's a living breathing dynamic that you have mm. to honor. Yeah, uh, sure, and sure. I mentioned earlier, the, the constant efforts to enhance the culture. That's the third culture rule is to adapt. Uh, yeah. If you've got to always be working to enhance your culture, it, it's when you try to shrink wrap it mm -hmm. to protect it, yeah. you kill it, you suffocate yeah. it, right? It's a living, yeah. breathing thing. And yeah. so I think you, you transcend generations um, and generational cohorts to, to your mm -hmm. point by being principle based, but also being able and willing to adapt over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, and that doesn't make it easy. I don't want that answer no. to make it sound easy. It's sure. a lot of work. Right. Uh, and then, and then related last thought I'll say related to that. It's a little off your question, but I get the, I've had this question many, many times. It's like, well, how do you lead gen X or gen Z or gen Y or gen Q, yeah. whatever, whatever. And I said, well, here's the deal. I'm encouraging leaders. I mean, I've tried to do this myself. I've encouraged leaders my entire career to be really careful that you that you're not painting with too broad a brush, oh, because true. I would guarantee you, you know, men and women in a single generational cohort who are fundamentally different. Yeah. Yeah. And so my encouragement is to treat people like individuals, mm. not like That's members good. of a generational cohort. And Gosh, meet people so where they meet people where they are, and that has that's been my go-to play uh, as, as you think about working with a twenty-year-old or a seventy-year-old. Right. It's like don't don't label them generationally, but mm -hmm. approach them as an individual. Yeah, that's so good. That is so good, Mark. Well, you know, kind of going back to culture, like the definition for a moment. How how do you define? a high performance culture, because I mean, you're talking about, you know, Navy SEALs, they're obviously high performers. And mm -hmm. so how do you, how do you define a high performance culture? Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one word of, of context. We decided, because one of the things we're looking for is, is there a universally accepted definition of culture? Forget high yeah. performance for a minute. Sure. And we couldn't find any consensus among the thought leaders. Sure. And so in an attempt to make all of this actionable, make it mm -hmm. approachable, we said we're going to define culture as the cumulative effect mm -hmm. of what people see, hear, experience, and believe. Okay. The cumulative effect of what people see, hear, experience, and believe. Now, we love that for a lot of reasons. One is who has the greatest influence in an organization on what people see, hear, experience, and believe? It's the leader. The leader. It's the leader. Yeah. And so that's our working definition of culture. A high performance culture, you got to have three elements uh, to meet that standard as far as we're concerned. One is alignment. 
you've got to have the majority of people who are pursuing the same aspiration. And the mm. more you have, the stronger the culture. So if you talk about a stronger, weak culture, I would say it's how many people have bought into and are actively pursuing the aspiration. That's step one. Mm -hmm. The second criteria is you've got to have high performance. Mm -hmm. Because if, if, if you're a good performing organization, congratulations, the world is full of good organizations. Yeah. I would argue that those organizations at best have a good culture. A high performance culture is one in which uh, performance, high levels of performance is sustained over time. Uh, yeah. And then the third criteria is uh, you have to be always working to improve the culture. Because if you're a high performance culture by those first two uh, standards and you're not working to enhance it, you'll not be able to sustain that level of performance. Yeah. So those are the three criteria. It's really looking for continual improvement and continually. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want a moment of greatness or a flash of brilliance. Right. You want to be a perennial high performer. Right. Right. You want, you want to be one of those elite organizations that wins year after year, after year, after year, after year. So that's impossible yeah. without that enhancement component. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned that you, you know, worked for Chick-fil-A for so many years. So what did you, what at, at, at Chick-fil-A, what did you as an organization do to really be a high performance? I mean, did you see the organization being very intentional with those three aspects? And, and if so, like, did that come from, you know, Truett and Dan and, and how did that, how did that come to be? Yeah. So, so let me say two things about that. We did this work so that we could strengthen our culture. Okay. So we didn't, this book is not about Chick-fil-A. We went right. out in the world and, and obviously, or, or I should not obviously, um, thankfully we found it very affirming that okay, we do sure. a lot of these things, but I think there had been an element of unconscious competence. Right. That, and you've met leaders thing. like this and there's yeah. an intuition that drives their behavior and they get stuff right. And we're thankful for all of the intuitive leaders that have served our organization for, for generations. Yeah. But we wanted to help the entire organization get better. So we've got over 3000 restaurants and each of them has their own culture. And so we spent three and a half days in February of this year teaching the content that you and I are going over here. We had 9,000, wow. over 9,000 people in the room for three and a half days because wow. we want to get better. So, so we've done a lot of these things and there has been a level of intentionality, but mm. now we've got a shared and common language. And, and oh, I think yes. the culture is going to get stronger, not only collectively, but in those individual restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and, you know, taking that many people, out of the business for three days, you know, I think you already answered this question, but there's a lot of leaders who think that, you know, if I'm going to work on culture, or if I'm going to work on any initiative and I'm going to put money into it, I need to see that return. So obviously there's a big cost, but how do you, how do you, I guess this is maybe the age old question. How do you measure culture? Right? Yeah. Well, okay. So two thoughts on that. Uh, Truett decided 
53 years ago that we would bring everybody together. And in that first meeting, there were seven staff members, seven restaurant operators, and they had a dinner and invited spouses and had seven show up. So there were 21 in that first event 53 years ago. This (laughs) February, in about 60 days, uh, they'll cross 10,000 folks. And so for over 50 years, we felt like there was a return, a Mm -hmm. significant return. Now, to your point about how you measure culture, I love that question because I hear it all the time. And there are people who think you can't. And here's what I would say to them. If you think you can't measure it, you haven't defined it clear. Because once you define it, you can measure it. I'll give you an example, which I wrote about in the book. When Satya Nadella uh, took over at Microsoft for Steve Ballmer, he wanted to change the culture. He had a new aspiration. He wanted them Mm. to move from being know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. Interesting. That was the aspiration, the cultural aspiration. And so they set the metric of growth mindset, Carol Dweck's work. Um, And they said, we're going to measure growth mindset. And that's going to be our primary cultural uh, metric because that'll let us know where people are on that journey. And Mm -hmm. I use that example because if you're not trying to create a learning organization, growth mindset is probably not a great culture metric. Right. But if that's what you're trying to create, it's a perfect culture metric. And so go back and figure out what is it you're trying to accomplish? What Mm -hmm. is the aspiration? Again, that's rule number one is aspire. Mm -hmm. Share your hopes and dreams for your culture. Once you've got that, there are a lot of smart people around you that can figure out how to measure it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think that um, there. So, so measuring measuring your culture and actually, um, you know, amplifying it um, is you you have to also as a leader be willing to listen to your people. And you talk about this in the book. I think you call it intentional listening. So, talk a little bit about that because I think that as leaders, we think that we're we're supposed to, you know, just tell everything about our culture and, and tell all the time. But there really is an aspect of culture that's that's really about listening. Yeah. Well, we talk about that under the third rule, which is adapt, because I would uh-huh. argue that to adapt well, you must listen well. You, you, sometimes you'll know where you need to work, and that's great, yeah. and go to work. But sometimes you won't know where you need to go to work. Uh, We've done a couple of global surveys of leaders in the last five years. And in both cases, we found about a 40-point spread between what leaders think and what the front line thinks Ah, on on various topics. Sure. So I'm thinking somebody's out of touch. Right. And maybe maybe truth is in the middle. But I don't assume that the masses are wrong when they say this is not a great place to work mm-hmm. to them, it's not a great place to work. Right. Um, so, so we think listening well is always a precursor to adapting well, because that mm-hmm. helps you, that helps you know what you need to work on to strengthen your culture. Right. Right. You know, and um, I, I know we've been talking about senior leaders a lot, um, but what if you're what if you're not a senior leader? What if you're what if you're someone? Maybe you're a middle manager. Uh, maybe you're a frontline contributor. How do you affect culture where you're at? And and I guess, yeah, let's just go with that. <laughs> okay. Well, the the we talked about the first rule, 
which yeah. is to aspire, to share your hopes and dreams for your culture. You yeah. would assume that a senior leader has done that. If they haven't, I would encourage that mid-level leader to share their hopes and dreams for the 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 microculture that they're trying to create. Yeah. But the way mm -hmm. you activate that is the second rule, which is to amplify. You've got to always be looking for ways to reinforce the aspiration. Mm. And you can do that at any level because yeah. ultimately what you're trying to do is to enroll everyone to work together to make the aspiration a reality. And, mm. and leaders may drive that process, but leaders alone can't create a culture. The mm. only way you create a culture is when the people at the front lines actually say, we're going to, we're going to work to make this true, right? That's mm. why it's aspirational because it's, right. it's a future vision for the organization. And so this process of ampli amplification is, is what leaders at all levels need to be engaged in. And I'll, I'm keeping our eye on the clock here, but let me give you just a couple of quick examples. Yeah, uh, one, and I think it's, it's perhaps the most powerful is role modeling. Yeah. It's role modeling. People always watch the leader, whether we want yeah. them to or not. And yeah. so if you're talking about something as being important, people are watching us as leaders to see if our actions align with our words. Mm -hmm. Now, if they don't, we, we, we do a lot of harm to our credibility, people's mm -hmm. confidence, their willingness to follow. Uh, but we also do harm to the aspiration because people are not going to pursue something they don't think their leader believes in or something their leader is willing to pursue. And so people always watch the leader. And so I'm telling folks, whatever that aspiration is, you need to act like it's true or that you are in fact pursuing it as well. And at some point, if you amplify well, there are any number of strategies and tactics, people will begin to say, huh, I think they're serious. I think they're, we're really going to do this. I think I better get on board. And that's how you begin to enroll others to join you. It's in this process of amplification. You're going to get very few of them when you just share the aspiration, the vision or the or the values or the, the mission. I mean, you'll have a few that'll say, yeah, I'd like to be part of that. Everybody, the vast majority of people are in the wait and see category. Sure. And one of the things they're waiting to see is how you as the leader live yeah. out this aspiration. So yeah, that's one. Uh, another is storytelling. Mm. Are you making heroes of the people who are helping you pursue the aspiration? Um, yeah, it's, and when you do, you'll get more of those behaviors. Right. I was uh, a few years ago, we were studying execution and we found ourselves with the uh, football coaches over at Clemson University. And I know they've had a couple of hard seasons, but you look at the last decade, they're pretty good at execution. And so we went right. over there to study execution. And uh, one of the things we learned, one of their key strategies to create a culture of execution was storytelling. And they mm -hmm. said, every time they meet, they tell a story of somebody who's helping them pursue their aspiration. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that sounds hard. And he mm -hmm. said, well, which part? And I said, well, <laughs> you guys meet a lot. And they said, we meet a lot more than you think we meet. And I said, do you have enough stories? He said, we got 152 players who are every day, plus our coaching staff, every day they're trying to help us uh, achieve our aspiration. Yeah. So we got plenty of stories. The trick mm -hmm. is, which ones do you tell? 
And they say it. And the more we tell those stories, the more people demonstrate those behaviors. Mm, yeah. it, it's crazy. That's that, interesting. Yeah. It's it's just it's just it's human nature. Yeah. Um I think it was um Plato that said what is honored in a country is cultivated there. Mm. You start honoring people through storytelling and more yeah. people want to be honored in that same fashion. Yeah. Well, I, crazy. Think he, I, I think in this, I think in the book, uh, you, you also talk about, um, at Clemson, I think, I think it's at Clemson where there's a rock where everybody, um, touches it as they're coming into the stadium. But then I think the coach, I, if I'm remembering my story, right. The coach said, basically, you know, touch it if you're willing to give everything, but if you're not keep your filthy hands off of it or something like along yeah. those lines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was under the under the section on symbols and traditions. Is okay, is they yeah. yeah, if you're not going to give 110%, don't touch this rock. Right, right. And so they're making that commitment as they take the field. Yeah. And they've got a really high winning percentage at at that particular stadium. At, at their stadium, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. It probably yeah. does. Let me share yeah. one more idea for people because it well, is yes. so pragmatic. Some people overlook the power. I call it strategic repetition, strategic repetition. Yes. yes. Um, we were interviewing a senior leader from Netflix and I asked him how often he talked about the culture because some mm -hmm. of your listeners may know Netflix has a reputation for a pretty good culture. Yeah. He looked at me like I'd lost my mind and I wondered if I had offended him. I wasn't sure what I had said that created this look on his face. Sure. And, and he finally, he said, well, every day, <laughs> He said, every leader at Netflix talks about the culture every day. He said, why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's most important. Now, I want to put an asterisk on most important. Um, culture is never the goal. Culture is an enabler. Oh, yeah. Performance is the goal. But leaders around the world know the most powerful driver of performance is culture. This Netflix guy knew that. And supposedly all of their leaders understand. He said, it's most mm. important. He said, why wouldn't you talk about it every day? Yeah. And then yeah. just to raise the bar a little further, because I'm looking myself in the mirror after that meeting going, how, how strategic, how thoughtful, how intentional am I talking mm. about our culture? Then I encountered another leader who's a CEO of an organization serving more than a hundred countries. So I've never been a CEO, but any CEO leading is, is a big job. And then you think leading in a hundred countries, it's a big job. It's even a bigger job. Yeah. And he thought this idea of talking about culture once a day was kind of lame. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I talk about it in every meeting and I can only oh, imagine wow. how many meetings this guy's in. Yeah. And I said, how does that work? He said, well, I'm always listening. Is the person leading the meeting connecting what we're doing back to our aspirations? He said, if we get to the end of the meeting and they've not connected the dots, I connect the dots and I'm processing that. And he said, oh, and by the way, if we get to the end of the meeting and what we just talked about is not going to help us move toward our aspiration, I asked the entire assembled group, why were we talking about this? Mm. Yeah, that's so good. So strategic yeah. repetition is another way that leaders at all levels can be champions of the culture and, and, and you need, you need a lot of culture champions uh, to get this out ultimately to the masses. For sure. Well, and I think too, you know, about any human behavior change, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, instill human behavior as our culture, 
we have to, if you think about it, you have to repeat over and over and over again. I had a bunch mm -hmm. of kids. And so I remember, you know, having to tell them over and over and over again, go brush yeah. your teeth, you know, go. Yeah. And, and so um, I think that, that uh, strategic repetition is, is so powerful yeah. when it comes yeah. to culture. So here's the deal. The bottom line, it's kind of a subtext for everything we've talked about yeah. is leaders animate culture. Mm. Yeah. Or not. Mm. Right. Yeah. Culture by design or culture by default. You're going to have a culture. Every right. organization has one. Mm. Is it what you want as a leader? And is it helping you pursue sustained levels of elite performance? Mm -hmm. If not, what are you going to do about it? Right. How, right. how can you change your culture to move toward that aspiration? And, and it's, yeah. it's within our, power as leaders to do this, but just right. many, many are not working on it. Well, and I think one of the other things that you talk about in the book towards the end of the book is, is really the power of, of exiting someone who is not a good cultural fit or who is, you know, a toxin for the culture. And I think that there are a lot of leaders who that's just really hard for them to, to even think about. But I think mm -hmm. if we're going to have a, a high performance culture, we have to look at that aspect of exiting people who aren't a, living up to the culture that we're aspiring to. I think you're absolutely correct. This whole idea of toxins, uh, when you think about the third rule to adapt, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're always working to enhance the culture. The first <laughs> priority is to identify and eradicate toxins. A toxin is any pattern of unhealthy or unproductive behavior. And so sometimes those patterns emerge in a person. And, mm -hmm. and you, again, I would always say to err on the side of grace when you're dealing with people, but at some point you don't want a person to sink the ship right, or to sink right. the team. And I've actually had to remove people from teams before because their behavior was toxic. And, mm. and you get to decide as a leader, are you willing to sacrifice the team or, or more because right. somebody doesn't, doesn't want to pursue the aspiration that leadership is set for the organization. Mm. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes the, a person has, has got to go, but there are other toxins, uh, complacency, uh, lack of or loss of procedural discipline, uh, mistrust, uh, whiplash, where leaders keep changing priorities. That's a toxin. Mm, People don't yeah, know what to sure. do and they just yeah. become paralyzed. So I think you've got to be on guard for any of these patterns. Sometimes, as you said, they'll become um, manifest in an individual and then you've got to make some hard decisions. Yeah, right, right. Well, Mark, I, I think that your work here in culture is so powerful. And I, 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 I've run a, read a lot of culture books and, and this is you're just the best. I, it really is amazing. Thank you. I really, really appreciate Thank you. it. I appreciated how practical it was. You, you brought in the research, yes, but then you, you brought in the practicality for leaders to be able to, to actually do something with their culture and really create that high performance culture. So I'm curious if there's anything that we've left out here, what have we missed that, that you would love to be able to just to share with uh, our leaders and our listeners uh, listening today? I would encourage leaders not to think about culture as something extra or extracurricular. Mm. Like as you go, 
um, there's a story. I don't remember if it actually made it in the book or not. I was interviewing a CEO of a hundred plus year old organization, a uh, lot of employees, uh, great organization. And he was, he was proudly sharing with me the fact that they had just refreshed their vision and values and, and he was trying to maintain the relevance and vitality of this of this century old organization and i will just tell you the work they had done was fantastic hmm. when he shared it with me i wanted to go to work for the guy i mean it's like <laughs> this is the kind of organ who wouldn't want to work at this kind of organization so they had done a yeah. lot of really good work it had been an arduous journey he shared hmm. all of that and so i was i was happy for him and as we got to the end of our time, he said, I'm going to need to leave just a couple minutes early. And I said, well, you've been very generous with your time. You, you leave when you need to leave. And he went on to volunteer that he was going to speak to a group of new employees and that he made it his practice to be part of the orientation for all new staff. And I'm thinking, fantastic. How many CEOs are doing that? Right. I think right. it's a really good way to help indoctrinate people. And mm -hmm. I casually said, well, I'm assuming you'll share with them what you just shared with me. And he said, the thought never crossed my mind. Really? I wanted to whack him upside the head. <laughs> no kidding. I'm surprised. Yeah. Oh. Leaders, oh. I, it's going to require some intentionality, but mm. I don't know that it requires a lot different. When you talk yeah. to new employees, when you talk to existing employees, when you do performance reviews, when you talk to vendors, when you talk to customers, yeah, you ought to be talking about who you're trying to become mm -hmm. as an organization. Mm. And, and so I just would encourage leaders as they go, mm. don't forget you are the primary champion of the culture. You can't do it alone, but you can't delegate it either. People mm. always watch the leader. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's so true. So true. Mark, thank you so much for this great wisdom. Thank you for just sharing your 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 depth of knowledge and, and breadth on, on not only just culture, but but leadership, because I think they really truly are, as you just eloquently stated, they are really one and the same. And, and so I really, yeah. really appreciate that. So thanks well, for it's being been great today. to be with you. Let me offer two things. Yes. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with me, uh, my cell number is 678-612-8441. Be happy to engage in a conversation. And awesome. we do have a website. It's leadeveryday.com. And uh, if if I can serve any of you, please let me know. Thank you so much. We will make sure that the number and also the website are in the show notes. If you didn't catch right. that, uh, yeah, we'll make sure it's there. So Mark, thank you again. Appreciate your time today. It's my pleasure. <laughs>